I was blessed to grow up both in the church and in a family devoted to the Lord, which means that I grew up with God. I grew up learning about God, thinking about God, praying to God, and bringing God into our everyday conversations and decision-making. It's always been a part of my life. And I was also blessed to grow up surrounded by sincere pastors and Sunday school teachers, youth ministers and seminary professors, all of whom helped me to understand more and more of what God is like. What a gift to be raised in this kind of way. But as I look back over my life, I am beginning to realize that over this time, my understanding of God has, has not just grown, but it has had to make some serious adjustments along the way. Some significant course corrections. Because even with all these wonderful influences, the God I imagined at age 10 needed to be reworked when I was 15. And the God I imagined at 15 needed to be reimagined at age 20, and then 25, and then 35, and 45, and we'll just stop right there. <laughs> So that throughout my entire life, I have had to reimagine God time and time again based on, you know, a, a whole host of factors. Based on my experiences, the findings of science, my encounters with other people, other viewpoints, my exposure to different biblical passages and interpretations. So that this reimagining has been happening all the time. And then one day, finally, it hit me. This is what everybody does, whether you know it or not. We are always reworking the God we imagine. I mean, as, as limited human beings, how can we not? Because God is always infinitely greater and more glorious than our puny imaginations can fathom. God can never be fully captured in a few, few bullet points or a set of biblical stories. In fact, he can't even be fully captured by the entire Bible itself. Because he's much, much bigger than that, much more mysterious, much more other. God is in a completely different category than everything else that exists. Which means that we, from our own limited vantage point, you know, limited by our context, our upbringing, our culture and language, where we find ourselves in history, because of these factors, we are always having, get this, we're always having to learn and relearn. Imagine and reimagine. Construct and deconstruct our image of God. And this kind of work, my friends, is a normal and healthy thing to do. Now, I do realize that this might sound a little scary for some of you, but really there's no other way around it. In fact, you've been doing this your entire life. All of us have. All of us have been reimagining what God is like all the time. In fact, I would say that you need to be much more afraid of those who assume the God they imagine is final and complete, exactly corresponding to reality itself, full stop. That's a dangerous person to be around. Instead, we need to embrace the truth that our life with God involves a constant reimagining of what God is like. 
We must embrace the truth that the God we imagine is always in need of a renovation, always in need of a course correction, a a realignment, if you will. We all have this work to do. None of us are exempt. This ongoing task of reimagining God. So that the only question is really this. How do we do that well, (laughs) right? How are we going to reimagine God properly? What are the guardrails for this continual work of reimagining what God is like that is inherent to all of us as humans? Because we don't, we don't get to just make them up, right? It's not that anything goes. So, so what's the key? What's the standard by which the God we imagine must be evaluated and then renovated? The lens, if you will, that we're to look through to reimagine God properly. Well, at first, one might assume the correct answer is the Bible. We must always go back to the Bible in our task of reimagining what God is like. I mean, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God, don't we? Of course we do. So it stands to reason. If you want to know what God is like, then look no further than this. Just read the Bible. Well, there's some truth to that, of course. It's just that it's a bit more complicated, I mean, for one, the Bible does not present itself as a systematic theology on the nature of God, where you can turn over to this chapter where it lays out all nice and neatly the various attributes of God. And then you can turn to that chapter where it unpacks the intricacies of the Holy Trinity. And then over to this chapter where it clearly lays out the relationship between God's sovereignty and human freedom. No, the Bible is not a book that works that way. In fact... (laughs) The Bible isn't even a book to begin with. It's a library of 66 different books written at different times, in different places, from different perspectives, by different authors to different audiences, in different literary genres, right? Prophecy, poetry, apocalyptic Letters, proverbs, ancient law codes, narratives, and more and more and more. Which means this. The task of reimagining God according to the scriptures is not as straightforward as one might think. In fact, even among us Bible-believing Christians, I have discovered that when one of us turns to the Bible to learn what God is like, the person is likely to find just the kind of God they want to find. If we want a God that blasts the Assyrians for their waywardness, well, then turn to the prophet Nahum. You can find him there. But if you'd rather have a God that has compassion on the Assyrians and then reaches out to them so that they might repent, well, turn to the book of Jonah. You'll find that God there. If you want a God that creates a world It's pretty simple. The obedient are blessed. The wicked are cursed. There you have it. Read Deuteronomy. It's laid out that way. But if God creates a world in which the obedient are sometimes cursed and the wicked are actually sometimes blessed and, you know, you can't really even make sense of it, well, you need to read Ecclesiastes. If you want a God of peace, he's in the Bible. But if you want a God of war, you can find him there too. If you want a God of compassion, he's there. But if you want a vindictive God, he's there as well. If you want an egalitarian God, a misogynistic God, 
A God of all the nations or a nationalistic God? A, a merciful God or a God demanding blood sacrifice? All those images of God are right there in the text for our choosing. You see, sometimes the Bible is like one of those ink blot tests and that it can reveal more about the reader than it does about the God it describes. Now, yes, the Bible is the Word of God, but as such, it is given to us as a collection of ancient, oftentimes ambiguous and diverse books written by human beings who were bound by their own time, their own culture, their own place, attempting to imagine God along those lines. So, yes, my friends, it's complicated. It's not always clear, and we don't need to oversimplify it. But then we're still stuck with our question, aren't we? What then are we to do? How are we to go about doing the inevitable properly? The, necess- the necessary and everyday work of reimagining God, reconfiguring Him. How are we to correct our own beliefs about God so that we might move closer and closer to what God is really like? If not the Bible, then where else? Well, this is where today's gospel reading comes in quite handy. John 14, in this wonderful exchange between Jesus and one of his disciples, Philip. This scene occurs on the evening before the day Jesus is crucified. It's around a dinner table where Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. Do not let your hearts be troubled. That's how Jesus begins. And then a bit later, he says this. He says, If you know me, you will know my Father also. And from now on, you you do know him and have seen him. Whoa. Did you hear that? Jesus is comforting his disciples by informing them that they have seen the Father. That they have seen God himself. But the disciples, they... uh, They fail to make the connection. And so Philip runs over to Jesus, says, says, Lord, please show us the Father. We want to know what God is really like. To which Jesus says, Philip, you've been with me all this time. Don't you know? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. This is incredible. And it is a theme that is woven into every aspect of John's gospel. That if you see Jesus, you see the Father. In fact, it only takes John 18 verses to make this very point. Listen to how he puts it in John 1.18. He says, no one has ever seen God. It is the only Son, himself God, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. Excuse me, John? No one has ever seen God, really? Have you read the Old Testament? What about Adam in the garden? What about Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord? My goodness, what about Moses when he dared to ask God, show me your glory? Or think about that powerful scene described in Isaiah 6, where Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, 
And the hem of his robe filled the temple. The pivots of the thresholds shook and the house filled with smoke. And I said, I'm a dead man. That's that's what it says. (laughs) I'm a dead man. Why? For I have seen the Lord. Except he didn't die. He was transformed, wasn't he? So John... Come on, how can you possibly say that no one has ever seen God? Well, compared to Jesus, no one has. Compared to Jesus, not Adam, not Jacob or Moses, not even Isaiah has seen the Lord. Because Jesus is the clearest picture we have of what God is like. My friends, this is the testimony of the New Testament. Everywhere we are reminded of this revolutionary truth that God looks just like Jesus. For example, think of how the book of Hebrews begins. I I love how it starts. Verse 1, chapter 1 says this, Long ago God spoke to our ancestors in in many and various ways by the prophets, right? You, You know, Moses, Elijah, Isaiah. But, he goes on to say, In these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, a son who is the very reflection of God's glory, and get this, the exact imprint of God's very being. Ah, I see now, no one has ever seen God like this, by looking into the face of Jesus. Because God is just like Jesus. And this, by the way, is what the Bible actually testifies to. This is the center of the biblical witness. The Bible in its entirety, in its diverse messiness and ambiguity, testifies to Jesus. And then Jesus testifies to what God is really like. God is just like Jesus. This is actually the point of the scriptures. That's the point of the Bible, not to lay out in meticulous detail what we should believe about this or that theological subject. It's not to provide us with a a cache of verses from which we can rip this one and that one out of its context so that we can construct our own image of God that we like. No. The point of the Bible is to deliver us to the person of Jesus so that Jesus becomes the one who reveals to us what God is really like. Man, I wish I had known this years ago. It would have saved me so much trouble, so much needless theological gymnastics, so many ridiculous spiritual explanations that ended up hurting more people than they helped. If only I knew then what I know now, that God is most fully and completely revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the standard by which we do the work of reimagining God rightly, So that to the degree that the God you imagine doesn't look like Jesus, that's the degree to which you've got work to do. So take a look. Take a look, if you can, at how you imagine God to be. What's rolling around up there? Take a look at what you were taught about God, at how you talk about God, at how you imagine and experience God responding to you in this situation or that situation. Is he a God you you have to work really hard to get his attention? A God who is distant? 
who isn't really that interested in your everyday life? A God who is emotionally absent from you? Does that look like Jesus? Maybe he's a God who's, who's going to get you for that. A God who is present and near, yes, but whose temper, you know, needs to be managed. A God who is disappointed with you. Does that image of God look like Jesus? Or maybe he's a God who meticulously maps out every aspect of your life. A God who is responsible not only for the good in your life, but also for the bad. A God who gets what he wants, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Is that how Jesus is described in the gospel accounts? Whatever your view of God is, ask yourself, what aspect of this God I imagine does not line up with Jesus? You need to get rid of that, right? You need to reimagine God differently in light of Jesus. Ask yourself, what characteristic of the God I imagine doesn't look like the Jesus presented to me in the gospel accounts? You need to purge that from your imagination and reimagine God differently because God looks just like Jesus. This kind of work, this work of reimagining God in light of Jesus is really critical to your faith because, listen, the God you imagine is the God you live with, right? It's the God you imitate. It's the God you talk about. It's the God you make your decisions upon. This ongoing work is crucial to the health of your faith, the direction of your life. No matter if, you're, if your background is like mine, no matter how you grew up, whether in church or not, whether in a family devoted to the Lord or whether you had theological training or not, we all have work to do with this question. What is God like? Is there a more important question than that? What is God like? My friends, God is just like Jesus. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise that when you wanted to speak to us most clearly about yourself, you sent your Son in the form of a human to be the clearest picture that we have of what you are like. May the person of Jesus inform our minds and inform our imaginations and our actions. May we always be doing the work of renovating our view of you according to Jesus we give you thanks for him. So, Heavenly Father, send us your spirit to do this work properly. We pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.